Man, I love that song. You know, those new ones are great. Those new worship songs are really good. That's a joke. It's not a very new song. It's kind of old, but it's really good. Oh, so we're in our last week of the book of 1 John, and next week we'll change gears and we'll, we'll match the Christmas decor and we'll kick off Advent. Um, if you are an individual or a family that is looking for something to do for Advent, man, this is a great resource. Um, we're not buying these for you, so we're asking a little skin in the game. If you want to do this, uh, you, can, you can order it. If you order it from good old Amazon, it'll be here Wednesday. So it'll be here on time for you to start. It's 25 days um, worth of studies for your family, and it kind of has things broken down into age category. So based on where your kids are or if you're an adult, it has videos that go with it. Uh, it's by Matt, Ch- Matt and Laura Chandler, and so it's trustworthy. It's a good resource. And so there it is. But man, look at that holiday QR code. Man, look at that. Christmas QR code. You can scan that. It'll take you right to good old Amazon, and you can order it. But also, I'll stick this on the back table, and if you want to take a picture of it and uh, find it locally, you can do that too. Um, so a, a good resource for you to, to jump in and do that. And each week, again, if, uh, if Advent's something new for you, then, then understand like it's something new for a lot of us. Like I, I think probably up until eight years ago, like I grew up in you know, a, a church family tradition in which Advent wasn't even mentioned because it was a bit too orthodox for, for our church taste. And so it's been fun for me to figure this out, walk through this. And if you're a lady and you would like to know more, there's a ladies' Advent study that just started, and it's not too late for you to get in. And my wife is right there. You can, she can wave her hand. She can almost get her left hand up there. She's getting there. Look at that. Um, she had shoulder surgery, so it's not quite there yet. Uh, but talk to her, and you can sign up. There's one that meets on Friday, another one that meets on Mondays, Friday morning, Monday night. There's two separate ones, so you don't have to go to both. Uh, but if that would work, man, we'd love to, love to have you there. Um, so let's turn to John, 1 John chapter 2. It's towards the end of your Bible, towards, T-W-A-R-D-S, towards. Sorry, that's words from my family that which will never make sense. Um, but yeah, let me pray, and then we're going to read. And we're going we're gonna to read a bigger chunk today. We're going to break it into two parts, um, and you'll see why in just a second. But let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for time. Thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, your word is trustworthy for us to not just pattern a way of living after, but is trustworthy for us to use as, as a means to know you, as a means to surrender our lives, as a means to, to understand who we are in light of who you've made us to be. Um, thank you so much for Jesus, that through him we can know you, be known by you, and make you known. Uh, today, as we look at your word, I pray that we would not add to or take away anything, that you would speak louder than, louder than doubt, louder than our histories, louder than even fear of our future, Father, but your voice would be the loudest in the room. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So we've been in 1 John for a little while now, and over the course of, of this study, we've seen uh, John kind of lovingly, like that grandfather elder in every sense of the word, give a series of tests or indicators as to uh, making sure that you know uh, who you belong to, what life looks like for you. Uh, some of those have been you know, about things that cannot exist at the same time, light and dark, sin and righteousness, um, and those types of things. Uh, today... We, we kind of see a part of John that we don't get to see very often, kind of a poetic part, which will be the first section that we read. Um, and I'll go ahead and tell you, like, when we read this, because of what we know, we, we get to know John a pretty good bit uh, based on stories of him in the Gospels, but also the Gospel of John, and then First John, Second John, Third John, we get some ideas. There's some history things we can learn about John as well, because he lived longer than any of the other disciples. And one thing that we can say is that uh, while he was... 
a very theologically minded writer of the Gospels. He was rarely poetic. And so this particular section, when we read it, uh, it's either poetry that he was inspired to write or it was something that was um, frequently talked about or said within the church. Paul did some similar things in the book of Philippians and other places that there were things that the church would likely repeat and, and he would write them down uh, because they were true and they were valid and he was inspired to do so. And this section may be that too. Um, but it's going to set us up for what we're going to read next as well. It's going to be kind of a perfect tea, and we'll, uh, tea is in golf, that kind of tea, which I know nothing about, so it's funny that I'm even making that reference. Um, I'd rather shoot golf balls with a 22 rifle. That's a, that's a lot of fun, but hitting them with a stick and a club head, that just, it never works for me. I generally pull things real bad. Um, but either way, we're going to stop chasing rabbits. Uh, so let's read together. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. We're going to read 12 through 14. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about that, and then we'll tackle the rest. And so he says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so it's repetitive, it's, it's poetic, um, there, there's some rhythm to it, and it's not typically um, John, but it, it's there for a specific reason. Now, we can read it in, in one of two ways, and like we see, he starts off with little children, and then he goes to fathers, and then he goes to young men, and, and talks about a couple of things. Uh, there's a word there, uh, because. Most of the time in our English translations, we'll see that it says, I'm writing to you, little children, because. And the word there is, is hoti, and, and the Greek idea is... Uh, it, it is exactly like because, like I'm telling you this as a result of this other thing. And, and it gives like direction, it gives impetus, it gives weight to what he's saying. In the beginning, he says, I'm writing to you, little children. Why am I writing to you? I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And then he says, I'm writing to you, fathers. Why am I writing to you, fathers? Because you know him who is from the beginning, speaking of Jesus. Then he says, I'm writing to you, young men. Why am I writing to you, young men? Because you have overcome the evil one. And then again, he repeats, because you know the Father, because you know him who is from the beginning, because you are strong, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. From the very beginning, before we even go into the next section, which gives us kind of a commandment and some, some backup for those commandments, uh, he's making sure that, again, he's affirming to the readers of the book of 1 John, this circular letter, he's like, I'm writing to you for a reason. Like, I'm not just writing so that you'll pick it up, so that you'll read it, so that you'll be better versions of yourself. He says, no, I'm writing to you because, or hoti, because, number one, your sins have been forgiven. Number two, you know him who's from the beginning because you've overcome the evil one. You know the Father because you are strong. The word of God abides in you. You've overcome the evil one. Like, he says, I'm writing to you because you are already his. I'm writing to you as a result of the work that Christ has already done, and as a result of the work that Christ has already done, understand that you are not who you were. And so I'm writing to you instruction. And so a lot of times I think we read Scripture as um, what's often published as self-help stuff. We want to be better versions of ourselves. We want to be better husbands. We want to be better fathers. We want to be better followers. We want to be all of those things. But, but we have to understand that the Scriptures are written by and large because people have already been bought with a great price. And as a result of being purchased with a great price, uh, we've already been set apart, but now we need to live set apart. 
Because there's a standard that's already been applied. The standard is Christ, who was sufficient uh, for the forgiveness and the atoning work. Um, And as a result of that, our lives are already different, but they should also begin to look different. And a lot of the things that we've already been reading uh, in this book already, uh, you know, God is light, so we live in the light. And, you know, having fellowship with one another. If we love God, we keep His commandments. And, you know, these, these indicators that we've been reading about, And so now John, in the midst of all of these tests or these indicators that he's given, he's just stopping to remind them, like, I'm writing to you because of who God's made you to be. He's already done it. And like we said, it's it's not so much a book of do's, but it's a, a book of done's, what Christ has already done. And we get to live in that. We get to react to that, respond to that, and live in a particular way. And it is interesting that he says little children, he says fathers, he says young men. We can read that in the sense of, of maybe he's talking about spiritual maturity. Like, hey, little children, those of you who are, are new to this. Now, in the rest of this book, he's just writing to children. He says, I'm writing to you children, which is just all those believers who I am taking responsibility for as an elder over this church and the churches surrounding. But maybe in this part, it is kind of about that spiritual growth pattern. Like, little children, you young believers, you need to know your sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. He says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's from the beginning. Like, you who are mature, I'm writing to you because you've known him for a while. And then he says, young men, he's reminding them, I'm writing to you because you've overcome the evil one. Maybe it is about that spiritual progression, but I think as we read it, I think we can look and say, yes, maybe I am a little child. Maybe I'm a father. Maybe I'm a young man. Anywhere in between, either way, there's stuff here for me because of what Jesus has done. What he's done, what I haven't done, but what he has done and I get to live in. And so he's setting up here, he's setting up the because or the why he's writing to these people. Um, and like we've already talked about already, like John is this, he, he's the elder. Like he is the elder that exists now. All the other disciples, they've been martyred, they've been killed. They've tried to kill John multiple times, but he's still kicking. And, and he's writing to the people that he loves because God has placed them in his pasture and he's shepherding them. And he's just reminding them now, like, I'm writing to you because of who you are. And who you are is a result of what Jesus has done. And so as we go, like, I don't, I don't know where you've come from. Like, I don't know where you are. Uh, I know that I was reminded, um, even at Thanksgiving, and Aaron came and joined us, joined us at Thanksgiving, and I tried to warn him that my family is dynamic and very different and a lot. Uh, maybe you just left a Thanksgiving table in which you were reminded uh, that you come from a very wide variety of people, <laughs> like I do that are at very different places. And so it's, it's likely following that that you've come in here understanding that, that we are vastly different in different places and different stages of our walk with Jesus. Uh, there are probably some of you that are sitting here that you have yet to confess Jesus as Lord. I'm glad you're here. Like, incredibly glad that you're here. I'm incredibly glad that you were able to read the words that are on the screen. You're incredibly glad that you're listening to the words from Scripture. I'm incredibly glad that you are here and you're, you're at least open to hear from God. Maybe you're here and and you're an infant believer. Like, yes, you have confessed Jesus is Lord, but you have yet to grow very much. You still need someone to to tell you what you need to eat, what you need to pursue, uh, what you need to think. And that's okay. Glad you're here. Maybe you're you're a spiritual parent, someone who is able to invest in younger believers. And you have the ability and maybe you even have the opportunity. Glad you're here. Maybe you're just that that young believer that you're not quite a child, you're not quite a parent, you're somewhere in between, you're, you're full of, man, you're full of energy, you're full of excitement. 
I'm glad you're here. So wherever we are, wherever we land on this scale, like, if we know Christ, this is for us. This is the because. And so now we go to 15 verses 17. And I'll go ahead and tell you, like 15 verses 17, like if we read it well and we read it in its entirety, it gets very clear. But if we read one verse at a time, which we should not really do that often, uh, it can be a bit confusing. So starting in verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, uh, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there's only like two places in the book of John where John says, do not. Like we talked about, uh, there, there are a lot of issues that are going on within this particular church era. We don't know the specifics. There have been guesses. But what we do know is some people have been led away. We know that the church has, has lost people that profess to be followers of Jesus, and one way or another, they had been enticed away. They had been enticed away by people talking about uh, the nature of sin and trying to convince them that they were believing wrongly about sin. They had been uh, enticed away, most likely, because people um, were uh, downgrading the validity of Jesus, which we'll read about in the next passage in January. Uh, they had been led away. And most of the time, the way John deals with this or approaches this is he doesn't talk about the issues that they're hearing like he just wants to give truth. Because truth is always going to be the best defense for falsehood, so he just, he just starts with truth. But in this particular place and in one other place in 1 John, he says, do not. And so do not is like a negative commandment. You know, we have our positive commandments like do this, do this, love, follow, uh, submit, do all of these things. But then we have the negative commandments too, which are the do nots. And we struggle with those very often because we don't like to be told not to do something. Like, you know, as a kid, like I was told not to touch the, the two prongs when you plug into an outlet. But guess what I did? I touched them because I wanted to find out what it was. And you know what it was? It was exhilarating. And um, it was a lot. And so, but I was told do not. I didn't understand why I was told do not until I touched it and figured out, wow, that kind of hurt a little bit. Um, but I want to do it again to make sure. But either way... Like, there's, there's tons of these do-nots in scriptures along with the do's, and, and very often we, we rally against them or we fight them because we don't stop to understand why they're there. And so in this place, John is very gracious because he's about to tell us why it's there. But he starts off with, do not love the world or the things of the world. And then he gives an indicator statement. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Uh, John was around when Jesus uh, said what he said in Matthew 6, 24. Uh, he was there when he taught it. And at that point, Jesus said, you cannot love two masters. Like, it's not possible. Uh, you will love one, hate the other. You will be uh, connected to one, cut off from the other. Uh, you can't do it. In this place, John's giving a very similar idea. He was like, you, you can't love God in the world. You can't. Very much like light and dark, they can't exist simultaneously. Sin and righteousness can't exist simultaneously. Love and hate cannot exist simultaneously. Love for the world and love for God. They don't work together. They're at odds. But the reality is the world is very enticing. And so we read this, and if we read this just here, if we read just verse 15, we're kind of left wondering, well, well God, I'm in the world. There's a lot of things in the world, and, and I, I, I thought I was supposed to love them. Like, my wife's in the world, right? She's, she's here. She exists. I, you've told me to love her. You've told me to love her the way that Christ loved the church. You've, you've told me to do it. And so we can chase a rabbit, but 
the main thing is we, we don't just read verses in isolation. We read the rest. And so here he's giving us that negative commandment, do not love the world, things in the world, and then that, that qualification or that in indicator, if someone does love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And now he's going to give us a bit of the why. Verse 16, he says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it's from the world. He says, do not do this, and if you do, understand that the love of God can't be in you, but here's why. Here's why. And he gives just a very short, short list. And, and it's not all-inclusive, but it, it's kind of a good umbrella statement. And we just read it, and we're like, I don't know. I don't know. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not from the Father, uh, but it's from the world. Can you throw up the, the New Living Translation for me real quick in verse 16? Maybe. Magic abracadabras. It's going to happen. If it doesn't, I can make it happen. We're going to race. Internet's running really slow. Come on. Oop, that's Jude. That's not it. All right. We got it. Here's the New Living Translation. Very often when I read uh, during just kind of my quiet time or my devotion, I'll, I'll kind of have this available to pull up to. It does a great job at just putting things in places that we'll, we'll understand. Verse 16, the New Living Translation, it says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Let me reread it. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. A great way to think about it. Like he says, do not love the world, the things of the world, because if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. And he says, for this is what the world offers. It offers a craving and a yearning uh, for physical pleasure. It offers a, a craving for the things that are enticing to the eyes. And then it offers us pride in our achievements and possessions. He says, these things are not of God. These are not God's things. For us, I think one of the biggest struggles that we'll ever uh, endeavor uh, to, to fight and to battle is seeking what's good over everything else. Like seeking what's good, what's ultimately good over everything else. Um, in this place here, he's just reminding us that because of who we are, the Hoti, because we've been forgiven of our sins, because we've known him who's from the beginning, because we're strong and we were able to resist the evil one and God's word abides in us, because of those things, like the direction of our love must be different. Like where it's focused, um, where we're heading as a result, it has to be different. And the direction cannot be the world and its offerings. It can't be the world and its offerings. If we read the New Testament, like we, we see these ideas of believing in God for salvation, uh, we see these, gods, see these ideas of by grace through faith, we see these ideas of loving God, and very often we see them as separate ideas or notions, but in reality, they're, they're all part of the same agreement. Knowing God and believing in God and loving God and trusting God, experiencing grace, they're all connected and they're inseparable. 
And, and as a result of their connection and their inseparability, like we have to understand that who we were is not who we are. And so therefore, my heart must lean a different direction now. It must race in a different direction now. But the other reality that sits alongside of that is the world is going to try to pull us in every other direction. And it's not by accident. Like, like Satan, because that, that's our adversary, the evil one who we've already been told, like I'm writing to you because you've already been granted victory over the evil one, but the evil one's still here and he's still coming after us. He knows exactly how to entice us. He knew exactly how to entice people during this age and to pull them away from what they had known from the beginning. And for us, John listed out, the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. Like anecdotally, anecdotally, if we asked how many of us have been led towards sin because of the promise or the hope of physical pleasure, we would all say we've been there. Whatever it may be, and like you, you, you fill in the blank. There's a lot of those things like I pursued this thing that I knew that I shouldn't pursue because of the payoff of pleasure, fleshly pleasure. I mean, we have men that are, man, broken and addicted to seeking pleasure. We have women that are broken and addicted to seeking pleasure. And Satan knows exactly what that looks like. Exactly what that looks like. Whether it be addiction to substance, whether it be addiction to pornography, whether it be addiction to praise, whatever it may be, the things that bring us the most pleasure that the world offers are incredibly enticing. Or moving on to like a craving for everything that we see. We just left Thanksgiving and we craved a lot that we saw. You know, yes, hey, gluttony, it's, it's there. But there, there's so many other things. Like it's not just about food and turkey and dressing, not stuffing. It's not just about those things. But, but think about all of the places in which our hearts are pulled towards pursuing something that we saw and we desired. We just wanted it. Like, I was impressed to see that Black Friday was not quite as crazy as it normally is. My wife and I, we were kidless this weekend, and, and we went shopping on Black Friday, and I was, I was excited to be with my bride and hang out with her and just have some one-on-one time with her, breakfast and then a little shopping, but I was not excited about being in a store surrounded by 57,000 people um, all trying to get a big screen TV. Um, and I was grateful to not have to deal with that, except maybe at one moment in Bass Pro Shop um, at the gun counter, which I just, we just walked by, but it was full. Um, but like just the idea of consumerism and how it applies to us and not just buying stuff, but, but in a world that says if you see something, you want something, go after something. If you see something, want something, go after something. How many times have you been directed or your life has been dictated, your savings have been dictated, everything has been dictated because you saw something you wanted and you committed to have it? The cravings of the things that we see. And then the other that he lists is the pride in our achievements and possessions. The pride in our achievements and possessions. Like the, the unhealthy attraction to attention for the things that we've gained that probably are a result of the things that we saw and the things that we pursued because it gave us pleasure to have it. He says these things... these. These are not what God wants. But it's hard, right? 
Like, it's hard. There's a reason that John is just breaking it down to this very visceral level because, like, this is the universal struggle. Like, these things are not just about the people uh, in Ephesus. They're not just about the people in Laodicea. They're not just about the people in these, these seven churches. No, this is, this is human condition. Like, this is the way that we are born. We are born with an attraction to the world, like a bent of our heart to go after these things, to pursue these things, to want these things, because the world has made them very, very enticing. But God makes us something different. Changes our identity, changes our direction, and should be changing the leanings of our heart. Should be changing the leanings of our heart. It says, do not hear. The commandment is do not love the things. He gives us the reason, and then he gives us the list of what these things are. And then he just tells us at the end of verse 16, he's like, these things, they're not from the Father. These are not the things that he wants you to pursue. So what do we pursue? He also tells us this in verse 17. He says, in the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. He says, so instead, understand that these things that the world offers, he's like, they're temporary. They have an expiration date. And we read that and we're like, ah, I don't know. How many times, though, how many times have we done like the pleasure exchange thing? Like for a little while, something brings us great pleasure. We pursue it. Then we get it. We don't like that a whole lot anymore, so we have to go for something else. We've already seen them pass away, right? And we've moved on to something else. The things that we lust after with our eyes, the things that we want, those, those temporal things that we see, we go after, we must have. How many times have we seen them, wanted them, gone after them, acquired them, and then they just weren't quite as sparkly anymore, so we found something else sparkly. How many times did we acquire those things because we saw them, we wanted them, we pursued them, we got them, and then we, we showed them off for a little while, or we felt great pride in our possessions or our status or our position, and then after a while that wasn't enough either. So we had to find something else to be proud of, something else to put our hope in, something else to, to show off, so to speak. We've already seen them pass away. And we've seen ourselves exchange one desire for another. But here, on the other hand, he's like, look, all of these things, they're temporary. They're passing away along with its desires. And so he says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There are things that are temporary that we can pursue. Or there's the eternal. And we have to choose. There are the things that are temporary that we can pursue or there are things that, etern- that are eternal, and we have to choose. And if we go back and we read the because, that poetic portion, we're reminded we've been fully equipped to choose the eternal. We've already been forgiven of the stuff that held us back from the eternal. We've already known him And come to realize who he is, the one from the beginning who offers us a chance of hope. And we've already been granted victory over the one that wants to lead us away. The because is powerful. The because is vital. And Jesus made it all possible. But if we approach Jesus as one more method as one more 
way to becoming better, we're never going to realize the ultimate because. We're just going to make him another part of all the things we're trying to pursue instead of the reason we pursue. So what do we do? I think the what do we do, it, it breaks down into two pieces. Number one is um, something that we need to know and then something that we need to do as a result. The something that we need to know is, and I, I've said it already, but I want to remind you, it's kind of two parts. We are not who we were. Maybe that's the only thing you need to hear today. Because I think one of Satan's favorite tips and tactics and tools uh, to make us ineffective is to continually throw our failures in our face. The ways that we've disappointed God, the ways that we haven't lived up to expectation, the ways that we've failed, the ways that we've sinned. Understand, you, I, if we are in Christ, we are not who we were. We are not who we were. Neil sent me a text yesterday about a running back for Ohio State. He had 2 Corinthians 5, 17 in his eye black, and, and that's just this idea of, man, look, you're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And I jokingly sent Neil like the, the college football uh, translation of that. And it's like, hey, if any player is in Christ, he's on a brand new team. All your past failures on the field are gone. The yards ahead have already been won. <laughs> but the reality is that, I mean, that, that's the reality. Like, we are not who we were if we are in Christ. Like our failures, they don't dictate our identity. Our shortcomings don't dictate our identity. Our family, man, we were probably reminded on Thursday, and I love my family, but our family does not dictate our identity. The because of our identity is Jesus. He's granted us forgiveness. He's granted us knowledge of him. He's granted us victory over the evil one that wants to lead us and entice us away. We are not who we were. And here's the, the second part of that truth. We are not who we were, and as a result of that, what we chase matters. What we chase matters. Because it's kind, of, it's kind of a circle. We are not who we were. What we chase matters because it reveals who we are now. I'll say it one more time. We are not who we were. What we chase matters because it reveals who we are now. Because, I mean, he just tells us right here. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If, we, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Like if we are chasing the world, if that is our idea of success, if that is our idea of, of happiness, if that is our, our idea of identity, then none of those things rest in Jesus. They just rest in what the world offers. So we're not who we were. What we chase matters. But here's what we do as a result of that. We just kind of have to make the choice to pursue the eternal, to chase the eternal. And like that, that last phrase in there, it's like, and the world is passing away along with all of its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever, lives forever, walks with him forever. And we've already seen that word abide. We've already seen that, uh, you know, uh, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You know, just this idea that we get to live with God forever, and the proof of that is if we're pursuing his will. That's the eternal. The easy, right? Like just, you know, simple, easy. And if I left you with just that, it wouldn't be very fair. But just, yeah, 
the eternal that we need to pursue is the will of God. What, what is that? Well, um, let, me, let me start simply. We have, we have the revealed will in Scripture, okay? That revealed will in Scripture includes the do-nots, which we often fight. It also includes a lot of do's, okay? But it also includes this idea of submission. It also includes this idea of seeking. It also includes this idea of obedience. But we'll never know it unless we go after it. Part of the pursuing the eternal is actually going to the source. And we talk about it a lot. Like, if you're waiting to be spoon-fed every single Sunday, and that's the only way that you're acquiring truth, maybe that's a result of the fact that you're an infant and you don't know where to go, and that's okay. But if you're not an infant and you've been at this for a little bit of time, you know what the saddle feels like, and you've yet to pursue God and His Word on your own, it's time you start. And if you don't know where to start, like, ask questions. Like, you know, community group leaders are your first place. Like, hey, how do you do this? Can you help? Okay, yeah. And if they can't, they'll kick it up the chain. Maybe, maybe you're not in a community group. You should be. But if you're not, man, uh, talk to me, talk to Abby, talk to Neil, talk to Lindsay, talk to Andrew, talk to Lexi, talk to Zach, talk to Becky. Um, you know the people that should know this by now. And just ask the question, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Can, can you help? And I promise you, every single one of them will be like, yep, we can. And we will. If we want to pursue the eternal, we, we start with the eternal, and we figure out what that is. The eternal is the will of God. And so, yes, I think for us what this looks like, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, just really quickly, uh, we'll throw that up there, I think, maybe. Yes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect for us. If we're going to pursue the eternal, then that means that we need to let God actually reshape our brain, reshape our minds, reshape our heart in what we pursue. And that starts with just this idea that I don't want the world to shape me. That idea of being conformed is being poured into a, a vessel and we take on the shape of whatever vessel that is. And so if it's the world, if we're poured into the shape of the world, we will look just like the world. But if we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, then we need to allow ourselves to be poured into the image of Christ and let our lives look like that. We need to cast the same shadow. We need to use the same words. We need to use the same love. We need to do all of those things. That starts with Jesus, continues with Jesus, is taught by Jesus, and rests in Jesus. And that's where we go. If we want to pursue the eternal, we can't be shaped by this world. We need to be shaped by him. And we've talked about it like one image needs to be transferred and look like the other. And Jesus doesn't need to look like us. We need to look like him. And so that means we, we pursue him to figure out what he looks like, how he loves, how he responds, how he does these things. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so I think if, if I was just, just thinking quickly about what this looks like for us to give us some, some tactics, so to speak. The first thing is, is submit daily. Like submit every single day. And that may start like before you roll out of bed. You know, the alarm goes off and it scares you to death. This morning I was in the middle of a dream and my alarm went off and it, it scared me to death. It was just one of those things. Uh, but I was reminded this morning before I rolled out of bed to stop, before my feet hit the floor, and it was just like, God, today is your day. Your glory your day. You have that. Now, I'll be honest, that's not every day. 
Like there are days that I forget. There are days that my alarm scares me so bad that I hit my phone and I fall back to sleep. Uh, but today was one of those days that went off, it scared me, and I was, I was just reminded and prompted in the moment, God, today's your day. Do with it whatever you want. Whatever you want. Send me, speak, you do whatever you want. What could it hurt if we started each day with just, God, your will today. Wherever you want me to go, whether my tire's flat, whether all four are inflated, I don't care. Whatever you want, your day. Let me just be in it. Submit daily. And man, that one's hard. Like, I'm throwing the easy ones at you, but that, one, that one's hard. Like, God, your will, not, not mine. And even in that, it's like maybe, maybe even the verbiage that comes out of your mouth is, God, today, like, change my mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Yes, I do. I think we rest in God for him to change our minds. Because my mind is bent on things that are not his. My mind is bent on wanting pleasure. My mind is bent on seeing something that I want so bad that I work for it, that I acquire it, and then I take great pride in it and I show it off. The love of this world. That's, the, that's where my mind is naturally bent. We read the early parts of Romans and we see like that flesh and that's, that's, you know, that flesh and spirit battle, like it's real. It's always going to be there. My flesh is going to want things. My spirit is going to want other stuff. And each day I need to tell my flesh to shut up. We don't use that word in our house, but I'll use it this morning because I'm not talking to my kids. I'm talking to my flesh that wants the wrong things. We actually need to say, God, I want what you want. Flesh, shut up. That wasn't in my notes, so it must mean it's really, really bad. Submit daily. The second, and I'm not trying to be clever, alliteration's not my deal, but seek daily. Like submit daily, seek daily. Submission just starts with God, whatever you want today, that, make that what I want. Change my mind, but seek daily is we seek through scripture, we seek through prayer, we seek through conversation, a disciplined pursuit. And so, like, I'll be honest, that doesn't necessarily mean that you spend an hour a day reading the Bible, okay? It, it might not. You know, there were times in which, like, I lived in this, this cycle to where if I didn't have, like, that set aside, you know, however many minutes or hours each day, then I felt like a failure. God's released me from that. But I will say that, that every day I try to pursue God, whatever that may look like on that particular day. Some days that is sitting down and soaping through Scripture. Um, and that's, for me, it's three chapters a day. You know, when I'm on my own, if I'm with somebody else, it's generally two. Um, and some days it looks like that. Other days it's just me in my truck and I'm just driving somewhere and I'm having a conversation and I'm asking God questions. Uh, some days it's conversations with other believers and we're just, we're having that conversation. But it's a pursuit every single day. It has to be a pursuit every single day. Submit daily, seek daily. Make it like a discipline, whether it's it's just, whether it's scripture and prayer, whether it's just prayer, whether it's meditation on the things that he's already shown you, whether it's conversation with other believers about what God's showing them, what he's showing you, daily, daily. And then the third, here's this, this ugly word that we don't like, obey daily. Just obey. I mean, I think there was an old hymn that we sang about that growing up. You know, a lot of times it was at the end of the service and there were three stanzas. If you grew up in the type of church that I did, and, and I did, but it was just trust and obey, because there's no other way. I won't quote the rest of the song, because I'll probably forget it. My wife knows it all, and she can, she can tell it to you after, but man, if we're, if honestly, if we start the day and say, God, whatever you want, make that what I want, and then the way that we figure out what he wants is we seek him, 
we inquire of him, we have a disciplined pursuit of him so that we can know his will. When he reveals his will, what would the point of those other things be if we didn't say, okay? If we didn't say, okay, I ask you to do this, I've sought your truth, and now you've shown it to me, but I'm just going to hold on to that for tomorrow. That'd be dumb, right? Like, that'd be dumb. One of, my, one of the buddies at our previous church, like one of his favorite lines when it came to application of any scripture was, don't be dumb. I got to tell myself that a lot. Just ask my wife. She'll tell you. Yep, I'm glad he repeats it frequently. He needs to say it more. Just if we say, God, I want what you want, show me what that is, and then we seek it and we hear it when he reveals it, just, just say, okay, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. We pursue the eternal. And the eternal is God's wills. God's will of what we do, what we don't, where we go, who we go with, how we get there, and His glory that rests in all of those. I think it's so pertinent that like right now, this idea of making sure that our love is directed at God and God alone, like it's vital. Like it's vital, not just in the culture that we live, but, but I, I talk about this every year. I, I love I love Christmas time, like I do. I love Christmas because for us, even in the Bible belt of the South, it's the easiest time of the year to reveal the gospel. Easiest time of the year. Because people are, you know, they're going to ask. They're going to ask questions. They're going to say things. And they're going to throw out what we were called in some of the training that Abby and I went through back in the day for apartment ministries. They're going to throw out faith flags. And you can pick them up. And you can say whatever you need to say, whatever you want to say, whatever you've been equipped to say, led to say by the Spirit. Like, this is one of those times. Uh, but it's easy also to get caught up and let our love just run us in the wrong direction, away from Jesus instead of towards. T-W-A-R-D-S, towards. Like, this time of year, and, and, and all times, but like right now, for just the immediate future for us, for the next, you know, four or five weeks, like, let's make sure that our love is directed towards Jesus. And then after those five weeks, let's, let's hack on another five weeks. But for right now, like, make sure it's directed towards Him. And we just need to pray for opportunity for us to talk about it, share it, and show it so that people can see. And it culminates with us getting to celebrate the birth of our Savior. How good is that? It's about as good as it gets. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for the reason behind your instruction, the reason behind your do's and your do nots, the reason behind the, the focus of our love, and the reason is Jesus and what he's already done. God, thank you that as a result of, of Jesus, God, forgiveness is there. Thank you that as a result of Jesus' uh, knowledge of you, our Father is there. Thank you as a result of Jesus equipping with the power of the Holy Spirit is there. And victory over this world that wants to pull us away. Victory has already been assured. Father, I pray that we, we trust the reason. We trust the because. Uh, we trust in you. And Father, I, I pray that it changes everything. The direction and the, the focus of our love, what we pursue, who we know, what we say. Um, and Father, what we trust for eternity. I pray that we would be a people that respond in kind to what you've done. Not so that we can earn something, but because it's already been granted. Um, 
and thank you for this season we're about to celebrate. Thank you uh, for Jesus, him coming the way that he did and, and doing what he did because we could not. We love you, and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.